Like a deer in the headlights or gum in your hair, what got you here will not get you there. Join us as business owners get unstuck in real time on the business building struggles we all share. Welcome to the Business Breakthrough Podcast. And here's your host, Esty Rand. Welcome to the Business Breakthrough Podcast. My guest today is a little different from our usual, and I am very excited to welcome Yonasan Goldson to the show. Welcome. Thank you, Estia. Glad to be with you. I'm excited to have you guys. Yonasan is the Director of Ethical Imperatives, teaching professionals how good ethics is good business and the benefits of intellectual diversity. He's a keynote and TEDx speaker, trainer, coach, and community rabbi, as well as a repentant hitchhiker, recovering circumnavigator. I'm going to need to ask you what that is. I don't know what that means. Former newspaper columnist and retired high school teacher in St. Louis, Missouri. He's authored hundreds of articles applying ancient rabbinic wisdom to the challenges of the modern secular world. His sixth book, Grappling with the Gray, an ethical handbook for personal success and business prosperity, is due out uh, now. Is it out already? Is it coming? It's out in Kindle. It should be out in uh, print any day. Very cool. So usually we talk about more of the like technical business stuff. And I feel like this, I feel like this is very, very important. I actually just was speaking to someone yesterday, young girl, 18, 19, and she was saying to me, you know, she's being offered this job and that job, but she doesn't want to take a job on the books. She doesn't want to pay taxes. And I was like, honey, that's not how it works. Like you want to make real money. You're going to pay real taxes. And I tell her something that a big rabbi actually told me close to two decades ago. Cause I remember when I was like, also in my teens, I had the exact same dilemma. I was like, I, I want to be off the books. Like, I don't want to pay taxes. Everyone's like, when you're a kid, you're like, I don't want to the government take my money. And so I, I, um, I called this rabbi and I was like, you know, which job should I take? Or I was looking for guidance. And he said to me, there is no blessing in the money that's off the books. And from that day, everything that I have done in my business has been completely white, completely. All the jobs I've taken report every penny that goes through. And you know what? We're doing okay. And I feel like people miss the boat so often where they're like, well, I have to circumvent, you know, ethics a little bit to make it. I think it's exactly the opposite. So I'm so excited to have this conversation. Uh, that was a very long intro. I'm going to jump back. I want to know what a circumnavigator is. <laughs> circumnavigator is somebody who's been around the world. Cool. Have you really? I really have. One and a half times. Okay. Explain. What does that mean? <laughs> uh, when I was in college and I wanted to be a writer from the time I was seven years old, I was writing stories and, and I was always, I loved still telling stories, reading stories. I love the lessons that we learned through stories. And, and that of course has shaped much of what I do. But I, I was in college and I realized that I really didn't have anything to write about. I'd lived a very comfortable upper middle class existence. You know, we weren't rich, but I never really wanted for anything important. Um, went to a comfortable school, lived in a comfortable neighborhood, uh, went to a comfortable college. I, I had plenty of book smarts, but I didn't really have any street smarts. I didn't have any worldly experience. And as these thoughts were formulating in my mind, 
I was reading the school newspaper and they were advertising a program called Semester at Sea. That's interesting. What, what college is this? Well, I, I was attending the University of California, but the program was not through my college. The program's an international program. That is very interesting. Okay, yeah, go on. And what they do is they actually have classes. You have a semester of college on board a ship. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not Princess Cruises. It's a converted freighter. So it's pretty austere. And, uh, and they have professors from all over the country, even all over the world, giving various courses. And you stop in 11 ports. We left the East Coast. Uh, we started in Spain. Uh, we went through the Mediterranean, through the Suez Canal, around India, up the Asian coast. Eventually, the last stop was Japan. We crossed the Pacific and then came back to the West Coast. And I thought, well, this is certainly a way I could get some experience and, and learn more about the world. And, and I called my parents and I said, hey, there's this really great program. And they said, oh, that sounds nice. What does it cost? <laughs> and I told them and they said, no. Right. <laughs> I said, all right, it was worth a shot. And, uh, and then they called me back a couple of days later. And they said, you know, I've been thinking about this. It might be a really good experience for you. And so we worked out where I would pay some of it and they would pay some of it. And, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was a very um, sort of mixed experience in the sense that it was a phenomenal opportunity to learn, to grow, to expand. But most of the students attending were, for lack of a nicer term, spoiled rich kids. Got it. Who were there to have a great time. And, you know, if they happen to learn something along the way, fine. Uh, th that really wasn't me, and, and it wasn't the, the experience I was looking for. And, and I discovered that by taking courses that complemented the experience, psychology, sociology, theater, uh, that that would really enhance my experience in the ports and not doing touristy stuff in the ports, but actually going off the beaten track, trying to meet the people trying to learn about the culture. We were only four days in each place, so you know, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a deep dive, but it was really uh, enough to have a tremendously broadening effect on my worldview. And uh, that, really, that really shaped the, uh, the decisions that I made subsequently that led to where I am today. Yeah, I'm gonna guess you didn't start out a rabbi. Uh, no, no. <laughs> I, uh, I, I didn't learn Aleph base. I didn't learn the, the Hebrew alphabet growing up. Uh, didn't have a bar mitzvah observed. Uh, knew absolutely nothing about my Jewish roots. Very, so. That is very cool. Okay, I kind of now, now I kind of want to know what the hitchhiking story is too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it was part of the same idea that getting around, getting experience, meeting. Yeah, it's you know, while while this trip was was broadening. It was still very structured. You couldn't you couldn't get in too much trouble unless you're really looking for it, right. and um, and I didn't have that feeling of you know, independence and self sufficiency. Um, so when I got to the end of my uh, college career with a degree in English, which was very mind stimulating. 
but also not terribly practical. And I thought, what am I going to do now that I've graduated or now that I'm about to graduate? And uh, so the same sort of thoughts began presenting themselves. And this time I came up with a different plan, <laughs> which was to put in a backpack and go hitchhiking across country. Um, to which my parents had a similar reaction. <laughs> but of course, they weren't going to sponsor this trip. Right. So it wasn't really in their jurisdiction to you know, eat your neck. But that was that was really it was much much more transformative and and I do not recommend this. <laughs> it was it was a slightly different age and time. It was a much different age. I mean, this was the eighties, which was already late. Yeah, you know, yeah, eighties for this kind of stuff. Most people did this in like the sixties, maybe early seventies. Sixties and early seventies, exactly. Uh, that's when you saw the the VW vans out on the road all the time. And, yeah. Uh, so so it was already foolhardy by the time I did it. And I didn't see I didn't see many hitchhikers out there, certainly not not looking like me. Um, but it really was the kind of break from where I was that I needed to shift me into a whole new mindset. And you know, this is a lesson that is so practical in business that if we simply do what we've done, somebody famous said this: if you keep doing what you've done, uh, you'll never <laughs> you'll, you'll never achieve anything new. You'll never learn anything. Right. New. You'll always be where you've been. Right, Einstein. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is Einstein, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. Right, right. And so that's so, the flip of this, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if, if we want to, to really succeed in a new, take ourselves to a new level, we have to create challenges for ourselves. We, uh, you know, we, everybody talks about breaking out of your comfort zone. All the gurus say, get out of your comfort zone. Why don't we do it more? It's uncomfortable. Yeah, well, that's a surprise. <laughs> right, that's pretty much, that's what it means to get out of your comfort zone. It is out of comfort, exactly, exactly. non-comfort experience. Yeah. Well, we're not here for a There's a reason why they're called growing pains. It, you know, it's uncomfortable, it hurts. And, and when, we, when we put ourselves in those situations, or sometimes those situations are forced upon us, um, either we respond by growing, or, or we curl up into the fetal position and <laughs> hope somebody saves us. So I've got to say, this concept fascinates me. Um, and it has for a long time, because I'm the kind of person that looks at an option of sink or swim, and I say, okay, well, duh, I swim, right? If it means I stay up all night, if it means I reach out to every, like, I'm going to swim. But I have, in the course of my life at this point, met people who, when they're pushed with sink or swim, they just become dead weight. And it blows my mind. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't know that sink was an option. <laughs> that's, that's a good way of looking at it. Uh, you know, there's a story that I, th I think I heard it in um, Napoleon Hill's book, a uh, story about Cortez landing in the New World. And uh, I know it's not a politically correct reference these days, but um, <laughs> well, that's the point of history. <laughs> um, you know, he, uh, he, he found himself confronted by hostile natives who outnumbered his men 100 to 1. And so his first order to the men was, burn the ships. Right. Because, because there's no way no, back. If there's no way back and there's no way out, there's only one option. That's right. And then Figure it out or die trying. Yeah. And, and you know, that's, that's a mindset that tends to lead to success. If it I does. really don't think I have an option. And it's fascinating that that really is the truth. And that I've seen again and again. Right, the, the sink or swim, the dead weight people, they only do it because they have some sort of a backup plan that doesn't involve them. It's not ideal, right? It's, it's 
it's definitely not an ideal. <laughs> but yeah. when there's really no option, but really no option, everyone at some level rises to their occasion. Yeah, when you, when you see the, the tightrope walker crossing the, the, the circus tent and there's a big net underneath them, okay, it's still impressive. But when you see the guy going between the Twin Towers, and they were there, um, you know, that's a lot more impressive. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a little different. And the truth is, we're really always doing that, right? Like I, I was, um, it's a great story, but it's going to be long. I'm not going to go into the whole thing. But the concept is, we think there's always a net. But we're always kind of walking on the air. We're always really out there on the edge because nothing is certain. And I think, you know, 2020 for what it's been has taught many people the meaning of uncertainty. Everything that we thought relied on, you know, toilet paper, right? <laughs> It'll be in stores. Like that was never a concern for your average 20th century, 21st century consumer. Never thought that the stores could run out of toilet paper, but that actually happened. Like weird things happened. Weird things that you never thought could happen, happen. Those are the, the very obviously less significant things. Uh, mm -hmm. People with children, so myself, who had them home for nine months straight. Uh, yeah, yeah. So longer. My, my yeah, kids are yeah. out of the house and I'm very grateful for that. But you know, the, the sages say that, that the, the way of, of wisdom and righteousness is to eat bread with salt, drink water with measure and sleep on the floor. Um, yeah. It doesn't mean you have to do that. It means that you have to be prepared to get by with the minimum because sometimes you'll need to. Correct, and I'll tell you something else. So I, I actually have taught um, Torah and, and Bible studies for well, close to two decades now as well. So when I um, would teach this concept, I agree with what you're saying and I would teach it a slightly different way, which is when you are happy with that, everything else's bonus in life is amazing. Yeah. Right? So the more you can be satisfied with less, and it doesn't mean you can't strive for more, but the more you are satisfied with less, the more it's a recipe for more. Yeah. yeah. And of course, the, you, know, we, you know well that, that the sages teach who is happy, uh, who is rich, the person who's happy with what he has. Right. Um, they don't say the person who's satisfied with what he has, which means you can be happy without being satisfied. I like that nuance. And in fact, you're probably happier when you're not satisfied because you know what it feels like when you get to the last page of a good book or the last scene of a good movie. Yeah, you're like, oh, come on. I don't want it to end. I want it to end. That's <laughs> my, my biggest complaint about great books is when they finish. Yeah, well, you know, we had seven books of Harry Potter to keep us going for a while. <laughs> I know, and nothing that's come after has come close. I've read all the extra annex. The, the play was not terrible, but <laughs> nothing compares. Yeah, but, you know, if that's our outlook on, you know, and then it's, you know, what Carol Dweck talks about in the concept of the growth mindset. Wherever I am now is a starting point and not an end point. And, and you know, in, in, in Jewish philosophy, we, we call spiritual levels, we use the term madrega, which means literally a step. Well, a step, as soon as you get to the top of one step, you're simultaneously on the bottom of the next one. And it's that process of continuous motion that defines the human condition. And this is true in our relationships, in our families, in our communities, and certainly in our businesses. Um, the moment I say, okay, this is where we're staying, now I'm in serious danger of uh, backsliding. Totally. 
Uh, one of my favorite examples is uh, it actually came from Lucille Sashire on the Path of the Just, right? Which basically says life is a downward escalator, right? If you're not walking up, you're going down. Exactly. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta be moving or you're gonna default. Gravity. So it's right. well, yeah, and that's... You know, socioeconomical gravity, right? There's inflation. Like the money's always rising. If you're not rising with it, you're stuck. So let's, let's bring this back to business. I feel like we could talk about so many things for such a long time. So you started out as a planet globe circumnavigator, hitchhiker. Sounds like you worked for a newspaper. You wrote things. At some point, your Jewish journey took a spin. You landed up as a rabbi. How did you end up doing this whole thing with exit? I'm trying to find a word to say ethics. And I was trying to say three things at the same time. So that took a moment. <laughs> ethics as a as a business or as your primary platform? Like where did this current iteration come from? Yeah, well, that was kind of when the ships burned down. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I lived in Israel for nine years. Uh, me too, wife. me too, almost 10 actually. Oh. <laughs> so I met my wife there. We, we, got, we uh, had our first two children there and um, became an Orthodox rabbi there. And then I started off in my career teaching high school to Jewish students. And, uh, taught for a year and yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, it's there's nothing like it in many ways. Uh, I taught for a year in Budapest, Hungary, two years in Atlanta, Georgia, and twenty years in St. Louis, where I live now. And in 2016, my school closed. Um, the the demo demographics had changed. Uh, I like to say we were too far to the middle. We, we weren't right enough for the right or left enough for the left, and we, we sort of... And that happens. It's a good business lesson also, by the way. Yeah, right. well, you, know, you can apply it to certain, certainly our, our, our politics and uh, <laughs> lots of other applications. But, but yeah, uh, you know, you have to have clientele. Yes, and, and sometimes people, I say they price themselves out of the market, right? So this is, they position themselves out of the market, essentially. Yep. Right? They weren't to the right and they weren't to the left. Right? Sometimes people are, they're, they're too expensive for the people who can't afford them. They're too cheap for the people who would otherwise buy it if they thought it was valuable and they just price themselves out. Yeah, and of course the other version of this is where you try to be everything to everybody and you end up being nothing to nobody. That's right. So uh, ironically, uh, or paradoxically, when you, when you narrow your, your target, you attract more business. Correct. Well, this was all something I was, I was going to start learning because I was 50, 55, 56, and um, wasn't ready to retire. Never been a businessman in my life. Have no real interest in being one. Right. Uh, when I started contemplating what I could be doing, well, I always enjoyed teaching. I always enjoyed speaking and communicating ideas. Um, I'd had pretty much enough of high school students, um, <laughs> and um, wanted to to direct my my message towards a professional audience. So I had you know the the, the wisdom that I'd been studying. Um, you know, 3,000 years of wisdom uh, is, uh, has all kinds of relevance. And I got a coach and worked on refining my message and came up with, with ethical leadership. And from there, it can expand into, into communication, into, into diversity. Uh, but that, I, I mean, this is really where my passion lies because ethics is the underpinnings of everything. In Jewish philosophy, uh, ethics preceded the giving of the law. Uh, it's, it's the foundation of, of all existence. And it's the idea of 
not just, and it's what you were referring to in the, in the introduction, you know, how, how, can I, how can I beat the system? Well, what does beat the system mean? It means let's find the loopholes to, to use the law to get around the intent of the law. Mm. And that's exactly the opposite of what we as human beings should be cultivating in ourselves. We should see, and we, we, I like to say that, that ethics begins where compliance ends. That's a cool line. Like yeah, in fact, I, I, should, I should give credit. I just, I like to say it because I just got it a couple of weeks ago when I was on another podcast and, uh, and my host actually paraphrased my message. So uh, Diane Helbig, thank you. Um, but the idea is that, that compliance and laws, legal system rules, they give us a structure and they give us the black and the white. They give us the boundaries. But ethics is all about the gray. And that's why I titled my latest book, Grappling with the Gray, because it's gray areas and it's gray matter. And, and this is what really develops us as human beings. It's that, it's that ethical discipline, thinking about what's the right thing to do. What's, how do my actions impact those around me? How am I contributing to a better world? Because if I do, then I get to live in that better world. So being selfless is selfish. It is self-serving. Being a servant is providing for oneself. And if we have that attitude in our relationships, then we're going to succeed in everything. We're going to succeed in our, in our marriages, in our families, with our children, with our parents, with our businesses, with our communities, because relationships are the, are the bedrock on which everything uh, is built. Right. And so it's just good sense. So I always like to ask the questions I think my audience is asking. So I feel like they're sitting here going like, okay, so you're like this cool world traveler. Then you obviously had some level of professional career. Then you decided to become a rabbi and you became a teacher. And now, you know, at your next stage in life, you suddenly become like a, a coach consultant. And I think there are a lot of people who who would be great at doing that and who might like to do that. And I get it, you got a business coach, but can you describe a little bit of the process? Like, what did it look like to get out there to make the decisions about the book? Um, if you're working with private clients, like break it down a little bit for people so that they might be able to follow suit. Well, it's, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it was a transition. And yeah, yeah. And, and also, you know, the, the best advice I could give is, is don't wait until you, until the ships have been burned before you, <laughs> before right. you start. It's a lot easier if you start positioning yourself before you're desperate. Yes. Because I was a teacher and my wife's a teacher and still is. Uh, and I went from full income to zero income. And so I didn't have a lot. And because we're teachers, we, don't have uh, you know huge huge amounts of uh, you know, funds set aside, and so when you know while I would have liked to have hired you know coaches to help me with every detail, you know what I could do was really was to join the National Speakers Association and take advantage for the price of dues. I would have access to people not on a full term, long term, intimate uh, level, but enough that I could kind of figure out the steps I needed to take, but you know, it was bootstrapping all the way. And, you know, for some people, that's great. I mean, some people can just you know, get it together. Um, it's probably easier when you're younger uh, to start doing it that way. 
No, right? When you're younger, you don't, in ways you're stupider, and I don't mean that as an insult, right? Because I'm, I'm not that old yet, I'm somewhere in between. But when you're younger, you get out there with this idealism, you're not as jaded, and you're like, this is going to work. This is going to work. Why, why not? Right? When you're older, you have a lot more reasons why not, but you also have a lot more wisdom and experience and ability to figure things out. So it's, it's a trade-off. Right. right. So, so what I, for me, what, what I could figure out, uh, I'm, I've always, you know, selling myself is never something I had done or, or liked to do. And, you know, a lot of people suffer from that. Um, and if they don't, maybe there's something wrong. <laughs> but uh, the, um, what I did was I wanted to target professional associations as a, as a um, platform speaker for their keynote speaker for their, for their conferences. It was a model I could figure out it's easy to find their contact information. It's easy to understand how it works. I, I'd had lots of experience speaking, so I was able to put together a presentation. But the mechanics of actually identifying and reaching out to clients was something that was a little more complicated. And you know, in hindsight, it doesn't seem like it was nearly as complicated as it felt at the time, which is you know, sending out cold emails and uh, you know, trying to frame a, a message that'll be attractive. And, and what was really kind of bizarre for me is that I got my first client with about 30 cold emails. 30 to the 30. same? No, I mean, different, different organizations. You sent 30 cold emails to different people and number yeah. 30 was a win. Yeah. Okay. Which, which is like unheard of. <laughs> I mean, that, that's pretty good numbers from like straight up cold. That means your message was, was fairly well, good. Well, you know, if, if it would have stayed like that, I would have been in really good shape. <laughs> Where did you get the emails from? How did you? Uh, well, um, I, I started off buying used online the, the Encyclopedia of Associations. Okay. Which, um, you know, you, you, you pay something like, I don't know, two, three hundred dollars to buy new. But I, I found a couple of year old one on uh, Wait, what's online. It the Encyclopedia of Associations. Nice. I did not know this existed. Okay, go on. I'm well, about it online. I bought it used. I had an older one for ten bucks. Okay. And just started going through the pages. Now it's uh, now I, now I do it a little more sophisticatedly. Now it's uh, you know you can you can be much more efficient on Google. Um, but I didn't really even know what I was looking for at that point. So I was anything that sounded even. <laughs> so what, what's in the encyclopedia associated? It's names and contact information. Yeah. Yeah. Of all of the different companies. There business? are no associate professional associations. Um, there are, I don't know how many associations in this country. A lot. Uh, and, and the world, who knows? I mean, thousands. And most of them have conferences. Yes. And many of them hire speakers. Now, the advantage of the association over a corporate client is a corporate client, it can be awfully hard to find the contact person you need. Uh, with LinkedIn, that helps uh, if you get LinkedIn Premium or, or LinkedIn Navigator, which I understand is better. I say um, it's not that hard. There's a trick. And the trick is, as soon as you can find any one email for the corporation, they always follow a naming convention. So if you find, let's say the secretary, right? Let's say it was me and it's erand at corporation.com and you figure out the name of the person you're looking for from right, the right. thing, then you know it's 
first initial last name at corporation.com, almost always. Right, right. But sometimes you can't even find the name of the, um, the, 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 the member of the, 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 the position that you need, you know, whether it's the right. president or that. that you know, the bigger the corporation, the more deeply it's buried. Yes, especially as you get into the higher ups and LinkedIn really, really does help, that's true. Yeah, it does help. But, but at the time, I wasn't gonna compete with those guys because um, you know, they were charging you know, $15,000, $30,000 for an hour long keynote and they had spent decades building up their reputations to the point where they could ask those kinds of, uh, of fees. So I ended up getting my first engagement with the Missouri Valley Ice Manufacturers Association. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Okay. And uh, yes, yeah, so I, I drove from St. Louis where I am to Kansas City. And, oh, it was uh, a engagement. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I was really excited. My wife was more excited. Yeah. <laughs> Look, we get this, could, this could work. This could work. And from that one, what you really hope will happen, I got a referral. Right. So then I was off to Las Vegas to speak to the International Beverage Dispensing Equipment Association. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was great. And that, that was over spring break. So my wife was able to go come with me. We went on a vacation to the National Park. And, you know, wonderful. This is really moving. Yeah. Well, <laughs> then things stalled out. Then reality set in. Right. And on the one hand, it was a blessing because it showed me I could do it. Right. And on the other hand, it, it sort of gave me this false sense of, oh, this isn't going to be so hard. And it was. You know, I, I hit a long dry spell and it was just, just plugging away, plugging away, plugging away. Focusing on the associations specifically. Yeah. yeah. You, didn't, you didn't initially go out looking for private clients. You initially went out looking to be a speaker. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that was, you know, I was, I was fine with that. I mean, I figured somewhere down the line, I'd get into programs and trainings and, and coaching, but as a business model at that point where I was, this is something I understood, I could figure it out. There was evidence I could make it work. And, but it was still a struggle. Um, I did, I didn't, I've always, I'm still having trouble narrowing down my niche because ethics is something that applies to any, any business, but it's much more effective if, uh, if you can identify a specific, um, you know, niche, a specific type of client um, where I'm thinking of looking is, is healthcare and, and medicine because that's where I've gotten most of my clients, not because I sought them out more than anybody else, but they're the ones who hired me. Right. But what really, what really turned the tide for me um, was giving a TED Talk. And how did you get that set up? Um, that, that was actually much easier than getting a job. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and, and if anybody's interested, they go on my, TED, on my, on my website and, and through the navigation bar, you, I've, got, I've got a long article on all the steps you can go through if, uh, if you want to, to get and give a TED Talk. And, and it was a wonderful experience. Uh, it really was. But once my, once my TED Talk was online, it's not that people started calling me saying, we want you to speak to us. But when I reached out to them, I had a lot more credibility. 
Right. Because everybody knows what a TED Talk is. Yes. And if you've given a TED Talk, you've got a certain stature uh, and a certain credibility that goes along with that. And that really, that really started to get the wheel spinning. Got it. I love it. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to part one of this episode. Stay tuned for part two going live Thursday. And of course, subscribe. You do not want to miss this. You've been listening to the Business Breakthrough Podcast with SD Rand. If you're looking for a breakthrough in your business, reach out at sdrand.com slash breakthrough to be a guest on the show. Everyone's got a business struggle. What's yours?